we're talking about the things that God loves and about the things that God hates. We're kind of giving it a theme verse, which I, I really have been just meditating on and thinking a lot about. This is the last verse of the book of Ecclesiastes, a book of wisdom. And it says this. The end of the matter, so this is the last of it, he's, he's, Solomon is basically saying, or the author, Kohelet, is basically saying, I've said everything that I need to say, and you've heard everything that I have to say, so here it is, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or whether evil. Now this functions for me as I was meditating on this verse as a great introduction to our need for good news. Because I don't know if you know a lot about God or a very little bit about God, but whether you know a lot or whether you know a little, you should probably be willing to admit that I have made mistakes. I have sinned. I have transgressed God's law. I have done what is wrong in God's sight. Therefore, I am worthy of judgment. And therefore, if I don't want judgment, which I don't want, and you don't either, we need pardon. We need grace. And that brings us to Jesus, the fountain of all grace and all mercy and all love. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter where you come from. There is nothing that hinders you from coming to Jesus other than you. That's it. And this functions very well as a snippet for what leads us beyond the gospel because if you have received Jesus and you've received the pardon, you've received the forgiveness and you've felt the conviction of sin and the joy of forgiveness, then from this point on, what should you do? Fear God and keep his commandments. This is a great verse. But I'm not preaching about this verse today. (laughs) Preaching about this verse today. As we think and hone in specifically about some of the things within Scripture God talks about hating, and specifically things that God talks about loving, we have talked about several things. This is a nice little, nice little snippet out of Proverbs. I've said snippet like 15 times. I don't know why. There are six things the Lord hates, seven things that are abomination to him. The first is haughty eyes. We talked about this. God despises pride, but he loves and he honors humility. So we are to humble ourselves, not only in the sight of God, but in the sight of one another. As we read in Philippians chapter 2, to consider other people more significant than ourselves. That allows us to begin to take that humble position. Second thing that God hates is a lying tongue. We talked about this as being broadly uh, bigger than just telling white lies or fibs or whatever you want to call it. It is, in fact, dishonesty on all levels. Because God is a God of truth. And if we are walking with God, then we are walking in light of Christ, who is the truth. And we are filled with the Spirit of God, who is called the Spirit of truth. Therefore, the believer should be possessed by truth. And this week, uh, we get our hands dirty, trying to deal with this issue. Hands that shed innocent blood. Such a weird thing as I was beginning to uh, think about this this verse, and there's another terrorist attack um, with a man who, who ran down eight people and injured 12 more because he believed that God was telling him, he believed that what God loved was the death of his enemies, was the death of those people who were not Muslims or who were not like him, the kind of Muslim he was. And we're seeing this kind of all over the place, this, this violence, but God despises acts of violence. It is not on his behalf. 
And this draws an important differentiation between who Christians are supposed to be and what we see within the broader context of religion and culture because Christianity is to be a bastion of a word that God loves. And we call it two things, peace and reconciliation. We are to be a people who are possessed by peace. And because we honor, desire, and love peace so much, we go outside of our comfort zone to try to bring peace into action between us and our enemies. This is what ought to make the church. This is what ought to make Christians unique. I'm not sure it does, but it ought to. Violence is something that God does not love. In fact, as you look into the Old Testament where there are particular texts where God calls his people to war or God calls people to be killed, it is never indicated that God enjoys this action, this kind of judgment that God brings upon people. If you've um, maybe not been to church for a long time or maybe you have been to church for a long time, we have this phrase that gets, gets tossed around, hellfire and brimstone. You heard that before, right? Sometimes we as Christians take a perverse kind of joy in telling people, you're going to hell. That is not something God loves. While God will do that, while God will bring judgment, while there will be a real punishment for sin, God does not love that. God hates that. When we go back to the beginning because we kind of have to do that every time you begin to ask the question of kind of who God is. You start from the beginning and you, and you roll through to see how is God moving in the world. From the beginning, the first person that God covenants with, Abraham. When he comes to Abraham in, in Genesis chapter 15, he says to Abraham, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. But first I have to enslave you for 400 years. That's not a great way to start a covenant. (laughs) Really, God, why why would you do that? Why would I have to experience? Like, Why is that going to happen? And God says specifically, it happens because the sin of the Amorites has not been great enough to where I can punish them justly. That God enslaves his own people, his own chosen ones for 400 years because he cannot justly judge another people yet. He doesn't want to. He does. This draws us into Ezekiel in the time of the prophets when Ezekiel is especially an interesting passage because within the time frame Israel is again for all intents and purposes enslaved and the message is to the people of God who are suffering under the weight of of Babylon this this empire that is pressing them down and God says this through Ezekiel do I take pleasure in the death of the wicked This is the declaration of the Lord and said, no, I don't take pleasure in the wicked, but I want them to turn from their wickedness and live. This is brought forward into the New Testament with this passage, for instance, from from 2 Peter, where Peter says the Lord is not slow. He's not delaying his, his judgment where he comes into the world. The kingdom breaks in and we have a new heaven and new earth. And there is the separation, as we call it, maybe of the sheep and the goats, of those who have, have sinned and those who have walked away from God and those who have truly walked with God. God is delayed and delayed and delayed that day of judgment not because he's slow, not because he's unwilling to, but because what he desires is that everyone has an opportunity to respond to the truth of the gospel and to be saved. 
Because God is not willing that any perish. That is not his desire. God hates violence. He hates oppression. He despises the death of the innocent. And yet we see sort of this text that we're talking about, the shedding of the blood of the innocent, could be shrunk down, and you might be thinking that just refers to things like um, murder or um, maybe war, something like that, actual physical death in those, in those uh, intentional moments, those intentional killings. But that's not just what God means. In fact, it refers to any time that we participate in the oppression of other people that bring about their harm or their death. Jeremiah 22, the, from the prophetic tradition, says, but you have eyes and a heart for nothing other than your own dishonest prophet, the shedding of innocent blood, the committing of extortion and oppression. Here he ties the shedding of innocent blood to economic oppression because if you steal bread from the mouth of the hungry, you are guilty of the death of the hungry. And God abhors that. He despises it. He will bring judgment upon those people who participate in it. He says in Isaiah 10, Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees, writers who keep writing oppression to turn, aside from the need, to turn aside the needy from justice, to rob the poor of my people of their rights, that the widows may be their spoil and that they may make the fatherless their prey. This is the shedding of innocent blood. We wouldn't use the word Decrees, I mean, maybe presidential orders might be similar to decrees, but we would say maybe legislative. Anytime you legislate something that harms the poor, the widow, or the orphan, you are legislating, you are decreeing oppression. God despises it. He looks specifically at his own house. He's specifically talking within the house of Israel. But if you don't think that echoes out into the wider realm of Babylon or Assyria or any of the other nations that were alive then or today, you're wrong. God despises that. He has a heart for the poor. Read the prophets, I dare you. Read Jesus, I dare you. And see how God loves the poor, the widow, the orphan. How God looks upon those who have no other recourse. Read the story of the people of Israel. We talked about this several times. The Delaware of the ancient world, right? This, this, this little country that gets just stomped and stomped and stomped and stomped. And God looks upon the wider nations and says, you don't love the poor, the widow, the orphan, as I do. So here I, uh, I tick somebody off, probably everybody. I say this to expand our understanding of what it is to say that God hates the death of the innocent or the blood of the innocent. And now we could use all kinds of different things within our world. This could be the violence that we callously call collateral damage. The hawkishness that comes out of nationalism. When you drop a 500 pound bomb on a city, how many innocent people die in the, fl- in the flames? We could talk about this in terms of the massacres of the babies and this violent, indefensible evil that we tamely call abortion. We could talk about this in terms of police brutality, the death of African-American people. We could talk about this and include the gut-wrenching horrors 
of child and spousal abuse which probably are taking place in this room. But we keep it quiet, hide the bruises. Our lack of mercy to one another. We could include the despicable, wicked, but financially beneficial work of multinational corporations which sell and stitch slavery into every article of clothing in this room. We could talk about the violent and vile practices of the farming industrial complex which so frequently treats God's good creation, God's animals, as though they are nothing but meat or fur. And here, I could throw all of us under the bus if I haven't made you mad yet. This one will, right? We could talk about the ways in which we fill our minds with violence the things that we see and the things that we listen to and the things that we play and we put them all on screens, we put them all in our imaginations and if it was in real life it would be horrific and deserve a word of the Lord against it but because it takes place in our brains it's okay. I am so guilty of this. It is no small thing that when God condemns the world to death in Genesis 6 the only sin that is specifically called out is this violence. It says the desire of the heart of man was on evil all the time, but the word that is brought forward is this, violence, because God hates violence. He hates oppression. He hates the blood of the innocent being spilled. And what's troubling is all these illustrations I've given you show you that the world has not lessened in its violence. When you see the rainbow, it's become kind of just a a sign, a symbol, a something. But it's a bow. A bow is something you kill with. A bow is something you defend yourself with. A bow is something you go to war with. God went to war against the earth and said, I am going to destroy, as you just, you're just destroying my good, good world, I will destroy you and I will start again. And I, he uses his bow against the world. And then he comes to Noah, and he says, I will set my bow in the sky. I will lay aside my arm against you. And he begins to covenant again. And this happens in Genesis 9. And there's a covenant in which God says, I will not flood the earth. I won't destroy it again. But there's responsibilities. There's a place that humankind has in responding to this covenant and this is what God says God says I will demand an accounting of the blood of every animal and every man it's important to include animal there because sometimes we forget that we aren't the only thing on this planet that God loves he says poetically then whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed I it might draw my mind to Jesus who says, if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. For God made man in his own image. We shouldn't need that reiteration. We shouldn't need that clarification. We, wouldn't, we shouldn't need God to say, listen, I will demand an account of blood. Because if you read Genesis 1 and 2 and you see God made plants and God made animals and God made stars and God made the ocean and he separates all of it and God made man in his own image and male and female, he creates them and he sets them in the garden and he says, good, 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 very good. We should know already that life is sacred. God shouldn't have to spell it out, but we're dummies. And he has to. And so if you don't know this already, your life is sacred. The lives around you are sacred. 
and the lives of your friends are sacred. The lives of your enemies are sacred. They belong to God. They don't belong to us. And every life will come into judgment. And therefore there's this pressure and this incumbent call on the church that you have this amazing gift and responsibility to let people know that their life is sacred and that their life belongs to God and that there's a day of judgment and that they can be pardoned from all that that they're guilty of and they can walk in a newness of life. That is the job of the church. And our culture is completely oblivious to this fact. This week something powerfully illustrated illustrated uh, this for me. Um, I hesitate to even do this because I never, I usually stay away from meddling with political stuff because it just is um, a mess and people begin to pigeonhole me into things that I don't think. But I'm going to do it anyway because you all love me, right? And I love you and we'll just be, we'll be there. So we'll do it and you can be mad at me later. So one of the things that's so interesting in our day and age um, is the ability of our medical technology, which completely outstrips our ability to think morally. America has no moral code that is rooted in anything uh, anymore, which is a good question as to whether it ever was. But, but there's this really interesting story, and I, I have to thank Albert Moeller's um, podcast, The Briefing, for bringing this to my attention. But I, I thought it was really fascinating, I was just, and I had to read the stories. But um, there's this story that happened on the 20th in which this uh, young teen... Um, mom, who my heart goes out to, my goodness, I can't imagine being undocumented in this country um, and all that that entails and then be pregnant and have no way to take care of of this child. Uh, There's an op-ed because she wants an abortion. The the administration, the current administration denied it, which is not unusual because generally speaking, the government has not done abortions um, because there are lots of people who don't agree with them. I am one of them. so there's this just kind of let, just destroying the Trump administration just because the New York Times, as you might know, is very pro-abortion. Three days later, there's this incredible story. I don't know if you saw this. It's an amazing story about um, this mom whose child had a birth defect. And so what these doctors were able to do was to lift, this is a uterus with a 23-week-old baby inside of it. And... Uh, and they were able to, uh, to go in and, like, fix this birth defect. Like, it's insane. Like, that's, I mean, like, that's incredible technology. I can't even, like, I can't even imagine it. And, and what's so fascinating about these two stories, uh, this mom was talking about how they were saying, well, you know, just abort the child and, and you know, you can start over again. And, and, that's, and you can do that. The mother uh, refused. And so they came up with this amazing, <laughs> this amazing procedure, Right? It's incredible. Of course, uh, the next day, we go back to this, in which uh, the abortion was approved for this teen, and of course, there's much rejoicing. So fascinating. And there's a kind of consistent inconsistency that's happening here. And I want us to see it. Because what is happening is this. If I don't want the child, it's a fetus. 
If I want the child, it's a child. The underlying question that we have come to in our morality is this. Do I want it? Is it important to me? Is it my right? Now, you could throw, the, you could throw all kinds of things into this. I use abortion because that's a little bit safer in this audience. But if I start throwing black lives in here, I start getting emails. If I start talking about war, I start getting emails. God abhors violence. Now, I've tinkered with the big stuff. Most of us have no power over any of this. The evils of multinational corporations, the evils of, of war, the, the, the horrible stuff that's happening with ISIS, or abortion, not abortion, all that. We, we have no power over any of these things. They seem so big and huge. We, 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 get so, we get so worked up about these things that we have no power or control of whatsoever. What do you have power or control over? Whether you are a person of peace. And that's one of the things I think that the church is most guilty of. Is that we, if I were to, if I were to, 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 um, if I were to talk about what human life is like, human life is a series of conflicts where we can't hear one another out because we're too busy yelling. We can't love one another because we're too busy hating. We, we, can't, we can't engage one another because our opinions are too strong. And, and, and there's all of this at work, at home, at school. Our lives are built around conflict from within and from without. That's the normal human life. That should not be the life of the normal Christian. The normal Christian should be different. This phrase which we've been talking about, the shedding of innocent blood. You have heard that it was set up by our ancestors, Jesus says, do not murder, and whoever murders is subject to judgment. This is true. This is good. This is law. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. There's an interesting little insertion here. Our ancient texts say this literally. The most ancient manuscripts say, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Some scribe far later inserted the phrase without cause. Because it's pretty easy for us to find a cause, isn't it? But if it, Jesus just is saying what Jesus is saying, whoever is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Isn't it? It isn't that Jesus, it isn't that God wants people who are not willing to kill other people. He does want that. He wants people who will not harbor the emotions that would lead them to shed innocent blood. He wants people whose priorities and who lie, whose lives are so shaped in an other direction that they will never have the opportunity to shed innocent blood. When thinking of retaliation, Jesus says, you've heard it said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I tell you here, do not resist an evildoer. Now, I've seen so much gymnastics to get out of this verse. I tell you what, there's some pros, but flat as the text reads, do not resist an evildoer. Because Jesus doesn't want us just to reject this eye for an eye mentality, but he wants our defiance, our defiance against oppression and evil to be one that is still shaped by peace. Jesus doesn't want a people who just love their friends and hates their enemies, but rather a community of people who so embody peace that their interactions are known to be loving to their enemies. 
that when someone does evil to you, who persecutes you for their faith, we hear all kinds of stuff like this coming from Christian media. Christians being persecuted. Fine, I accept it. What do you do in that situation? You pray for the one who persecutes you. Jesus is so clear on this issue. That's what we do. We love our enemies. And that's a tall order. And I am not very good at it. No one said amen. I, like, I take that as a moment. Thank you, good. <laughs> not guilty of it in this room at least, but I'm not very, good at, not very good at that. It's a tall order for us to live this life. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Titus. This is the verse that I will be reading. It is page uh, 998. It's a wonderful text. That is maybe the hardest thing that I've ever read in the scriptures. And it's going to be kind of my life verse for the week. Remind them. So this is Paul. He's writing a letter to Titus. Titus is doing ministry in, in these areas. And, and he says, I want, here, here's some information I want you to deliver to the church. So I am now delivering it to you. Remember to remind them to be obedient to the rulers and the authorities, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Because, so this is important, before our lives were marked by conflict, before our lives were marked by Um, hating and being hated, but now because of Jesus, there is a new creation that is happening in us. So here we go. Four, verse three. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray. We were slaves to our passions and to our pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when God, when the goodness And loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us not because, and here we celebrate that kind of reformation, the reformation, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. That there is something really real happening in people. As you know, the Christmas celebration has already begun. And so we are already... I didn't get any booze or anything. That was like, that just passed without a... Uh, we, we, we celebrate the Prince of Peace, right? We celebrate the Prince of Peace. And oftentimes we take that Prince of Peace, that, that, that phrase, and we, and we turn it into sort of an internal peace. Like, I now have peace with God, or I'm at peace of mind, or I'm at peace with myself. That's not, that's not where God wants it to stay. Peace is supposed to be something that we're practicing We're practicing through reconciliation. When we meet an enemy, we say, how can I make this enemy my friend? How can I give the gospel to this person? How can I share with them life and light because I know they're coming at me with hate? But if I meet them with love, something powerful can change. Because that life, no matter how much I love it or hate it, is still sacred. That person is still sacred. We need to be a people who live this out. I saw a tremendous video 
I can't remember if it was this week or last week, but I, I can't show it because there's some foul language. And, and so I'll just show you a little picture here. I don't know if you, did you see, the, anybody see this video? Is this recognize? I know this Rosal seen the video. I wasn't talking to you tech guys. There's this great video. This guy right here is a neo-Nazi. And there was a big protest. You know, there's been a lot of insanity just kind of with this kind of thing. And uh, this guy here hugs him and says to him, why do you hate me, bro? <laughs> it's really funny. He does it three times. And he tells a story in an interview. He says that the guy leaned into his ear and he said, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Because you're different than me. Because I need someone to hate. Because there are so many people in your lives that are so bitter, that are so angry, that are so broken. And there's nothing that they can do about it. They look at all of the things that are coming against their lives. All these powers, all these principalities, all these big things. You know, I, th- these administration stuff or not administration stuff or, or, or their company. I mean, there's so much that you and I are not in control of. Our childhood has been marred by abuse or marred by sorrow or marred by a church that gave... More abuse. And we take all of that and we internalize it, but it can't stay in us. It has to turn outward. And so that's what people do. They turn it outward. You are the redeemed. If you're a believer here today, you are the redeemed. You are the forgiven. You are the voice of peace. You are the voice of reconciliation. You are the plea that God is making to the world. You are the love that God gives to the world. And if we aren't the people who demonstrate that in the small things, there is no hope for the big things. There's no hope for the big things anyway. They're going to be crushed under the weight of God's kingdom and his rule. Remember, we have a king who is coming, and he will set aside everything else. And he will be all in all, king of kings, lord of lords. What you can do today is you can be the person who rejects hate. You can be the person who rejects violence. You can be the person who says, I will not answer kind for kind, but I will be kindness. You can do that. And it won't be easy. Which is why God filled you with the Holy Spirit. Because he knows our weaknesses. But being empowered by the Holy Spirit allows you and me to do what is right and be a light in the darkness. That's kind of all I have to say. I'm sorry. That was like a weird break. Band can just come on up. I, I want to leave us with a verse from Titus. I want to encourage you to be that. If, if we are the peace that this world experiences, if you are the peace in your families and in your lives, if you are the one who is always forgiving, man, if we could be this, those who speak evil of no one, who avoid quarrels, who are gentle, who show perfect courtesy toward all people because we recognize that we ourselves were once foolish and disobedient. We were led astray. We were slaves. We were slaves to our guts. We were slaves to our desires. We were slaves to what we felt. We were slaves to all of these things, passing our days in malice and envy, hating and being hated. If today that sounds familiar and that's where you are or where you have been, and you want to receive the pardon of God, this is an opportunity to come forward and to meet with our elders and to be prayed over and to be prayed with and 
Allow someone to walk with you who also needs and has received the pardon of God's grace. Because when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because we were any good, but because he is merciful. By the washings of regeneration and the renewal of the Spirit, he's poured out on us richly all this mercy through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that we, being justified by his grace, might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Let's stand as we sing this song.